Warning! This episode contains foul language, graphic descriptions of murder, as well as mentions of rape and torture. To Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week we sit down with a special guest and we talk about something weird. Weird. But this week here in April 2020, it is a little different. It's just your two gal co-hosts talking to each other from across the city of Los Angeles on separate computers, separate microphones, just trying to stay sane in this time of lockdown. (laughs) It's not ideal, but the two of us are making it work for our dear weirdo listeners because we really wanted to bring you some dark, intriguing, suspenseful, twisty-turny, bite-your-nails-off unsolved murder mysteries this evening. So pull up your sweatpants, snuggle in, because we're about to spill some hot, spooky tea. Now, my name is Lauren, and to my left, about 11 miles up the 405, (laughs) is my beautiful co-host, Ashley. Hi, weirdos. I love how it's like 11 miles, but depending on traffic, 20 minutes to an hour and a half. I know. I thought about saying the minutes instead of the miles because 11 miles sounds like nothing, but it takes a good hour and 15 minutes in rush hour to get to Ashley, folks. Yeah. 11 miles in Southern Illinois, where we come from, is a 15 minute drive. Exactly. Sometimes even less. Sometimes I feel like it's a minute per mile in like in the yeah. Midwest. If Depends you're going on how fast, fast you drive, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, I know. I guess that's me being a speed demon, but that's that. It's raining here in Los Angeles. Not that we would know. We can't go outside, but it is, nope. according to my window, raining. I sound like according purred to happily. The sound. <laughs> oh my gosh. According to this reporter, it I'm is reporting raining. the news. <laughs> oh gosh, I love purred happily. Uh, me too. Um, everyone should watch Parks and Rec if you haven't already. It's a great quarantine activity. It yep. brings lots of joy and happiness. Sure does. Um, Lor- uh, but- Lauren, I, I call Joe Lauren. Joe and I actually just decided like, oh, let's rewatch Parks and Rec. Like that'll get us through a lot of quarantine. No, we are in season six already. We're almost done. It's so easy. Those short little like 25 minute episodes. Yeah. Like that takes no time at all. No. And there are some days where we're like, oh, sure. We'll just watch seven of these. I know. It's so easy to do. What else is there I, to do? I feel like I've watched Parks and Rec so much pre-quarantine that I want to try some new shows. So I've been giving Community a try. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for anyone that likes Community. I, I don't, don't like know it. how I feel about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like four like episodes community. in. I don't think it's for me. I cannot get into it. It makes me sad because I feel like there's some real diehard fans out there, including like friends of mine who I respect and appreciate, but I cannot get into it. But you lost all respect for them. Yeah. And you watch the show. I hate them and think they're garbage. So, (laughs) you know. I totally get it. Well, also, another thing that's happening cool on um, the streaming services is Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum have a new fashion show. 
<gasps> Shut up, they do? Where yep. and when and how? It's called Making the Cut. It's on Amazon Prime. It's It airs every Friday, but there's three episodes. And it's basically they take established designers from around the world and they're trying to make the latest like brand. So they're trying to make them a brand. Very cool. Yep. I'm so into that. Oh my yeah. gosh, I already know that I'll love it. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to guys, check that out. Should we make a, a re- recommendation for the men out there? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like I guess Parks and Rec can go either way. <laughs> um, uh, I got nothing for the guys because I only watch reality trash. I was about to say, <laughs> did anybody know that Real Housewives of New York is back for a new season? <laughs> <laughs> that's the garbage i watch oh god reality tv though in this time i do have to say brings a lot of happiness because you look at these people and you're like at least at i'm least not, not them them yeah they are the scum of the earth i'm so entertained by them though and also want to be their best friend and travel the world with them so i don't know Well, also, reality TV, because it's not educational, it's really just like an escape. It's escapism. It's completely. Yeah. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to like process anything. It just uh, washes over you. I honestly have it on in the background while I do research for the podcast. Like, I don't even have to really pay attention unless it's a really good cat fight. Then I'll stop and listen. But otherwise, it can just be on in the background and you watch them live their weird lives. And I love it. One other thing on HBO, they are airing, I think, a six part, five part or a six part documentary on the Atlanta child murders, which if you saw Mindhunter season two, that's what they cover. Um, And I believe the first episode has aired. I think there's only one. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited to watch it. Okay, I'll have to check that out. That's exciting. Speaking of murders. (laughs) (laughs) No, go on. This is old news, but you reminded me with HBO. Have you watched McMillions? Oh, have I watched McMillions? Hell, yes, I've watched McMillions. How did I not know that that ever happened? Like that was a wild ride. I just had no clue. There, like it's the McDonald's Monopoly game. I cannot believe that the mob was involved. It's just it's too much (laughs) for me to handle. But I loved it. I love, love, love that squirrely little FBI agent. Yes, I want him to have a spinoff. Me too. And the way he <laughs> laughed and giggled between like all of his little jabs, I was so into him. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his. I would say the only thing I have to say about McMillions is that it could have been four episodes and not six. I agree completely. I think they really tried to stretch it out over the, some of the episodes and yeah. really dove into details that weren't necessary. But well, I, I feel see like they, they were like, just, like trying yeah. to spice it up. I feel like there but... were two full episodes where it's just like, let's see how it ruined this person's life. Let's see how totally. it ruined this person's life. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. well, this is just sad. <laughs> One of the dudes who was involved, it went into his whole backstory of how he was like trying drugs in the 80s and got into the like drug selling game, which was I mean, it ended up being interesting and they did like a nice yeah, but it was like, where is this of it, going? But... It had nothing no, to nowhere. do with the story. They nowhere. cut back to the present after his little flashback. And then they were like, so anyway, he sort of helped this guy. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but I mean, it was great. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I also recommend McMillions. Joe and I had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah, it's a good time for sure. Um, so, so should murders. we jump into some murder? Yeah, we actually, you know what? We didn't talk about which order we want to go in. Do you have two? I have two. Yeah. I was thinking because my second story is like the most depressing thing I've ever read in my entire life. 
Oh gosh, um, do I was, you want to go first? Yeah, I was thinking about going first so that we didn't have to end on that note and people yeah. could like have a palate cleanser. Okay, that's perfect. I mean, both of mine are horrible too because they're, I mean, they're all going to be because they're yeah, unsolved murder murders, mysteries, yeah. but oh wait, is your second one Lavina Johnson? Yeah. Oh God, I know a little bit about that story. That is super depressing. Okay, yeah. I'll go last. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh my God. Hold on, let okay. me crack my beer. Oh, yes. Uh, what a Lauren had a glass of wine, sound. so I had to get a beer. A beer. I almost yes, forgot the word for beer. Um, <laughs> I had to get a that. beer. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sipping my wine. Ashley's got her beer. We are ready for some unsolved murder mysteries. Yeah. Um, hold on. Let me adjust my mic. Okay. Mic is adjusted. I'm heard happily. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can we just be heard all night? <laughs> so, listeners, this is another edition of Keep It Weird, where we are discussing unsolved murders, um, true crime, et cetera, et cetera. Really, really, really dark, really depressing, um, really tragic stories. And we just want to remind you, as we always do, that if there is laughter, if there are jokes, if there are whatever light moments it does not mean that we do not take these seriously mm-hmm. it does not mean that we think it's funny it does not mean that when i was researching two of my actually one of my stories sorry two my first story i didn't cry but my second story that i didn't cry really hard when i was doing my research these are emotional these are these are tragic these are dark these are horrifying and any moments that are light are it's just our way of storytelling and it's our way of trying not to go down into a deep, deep hole and hopefully still, you know, we're keeping our podcast as entertaining as we possibly can. But it none of the laughter is us pointing no. to that. We are making light of this situation. Neither of us are laughing or making fun of these people in any way, shape or form. Yes. So that's our little disclaimer that we always like to put in front of episodes like this because there are moments where it's like, I shouldn't be laughing at this. This is horrible. But then it's like, I also have a show that I'm doing. Yep. So. Yep. And we have to cope somehow, you know? Yeah. And laughter is the best medicine. Or so I hear. (laughs) So I dug a little bit deeper than I usually do for our Unsolved Murder episode. I found a couple cases I had actually never heard of. You, Lauren, are the queen of true crime, so I'm sure you have, but hopefully I can tell you something you haven't heard before. I'm excited. So this case is known. My first case is known as the Yokst Fall case. Yokst is not even a real word, so I guess I don't have to worry about mispronouncing it. Um, (laughs) so it was 19. And I've never heard of that for sure. Yay. Oh my God. Yay. I'm so excited. (laughs) So it was 1984 in Anshausen, Germany, and it involved a seemingly mentally unwell man named Gunther Stoll. What a name. I know. I love it. It's one of those with the, it's the umlaut, which I love. Yes. It's so German. (laughs) Gunther was unemployed at the time, but he was formerly a technician in the food industry. And that was all of the info I could find about his job. So I did some sleuthing. And by sleuthing, I mean, I Googled it um, to try and figure out exactly what that meant. And as far as I can tell, um, he would have worked as a technician who was in charge of servicing and maintaining the machines and equipment used in food manufacturing, processing, and packaging. So he would, like, install and repair machinery and troubleshoot the machinery when necessary. And this is only important because of something that takes place later on in the story. 
Okay, okay, tucking it away. So on October 25th, 1984, Gunther was at home with his wife, and he was sitting in his chair quietly when all of a sudden he jumped up and said in German, I'm not going to try and say it in German, I got it. Now I understand. And he wrote down six letters. The letters were Y-O-G-T-Z-E. And some people actually think that the G could actually be a six. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make more sense, like, one way or the other. But that's what he wrote down after he said, I got it. Now I understand. And left the house. Okay. So, okay. Right after he writes this down, he leaves. He's next seen at his favorite bar in Wilnsdorf. He orders a beer, but as soon as it gets to him, he falls out of his chair and he hurts his face. Witnesses say he was not drunk at all, and they don't believe he had even touched his beer. He leaves immediately after his accident and shows up at 1 a.m. in Hagerseelbach. What? Hagerseelbach. That's that's it. Okay. You nailed it. He shows up at 1 a.m. in a town that he grew up in and knocks at the door of an old lady who is his former neighbor. And I looked at Google Maps. This is only a 10-minute drive. So he's unaccounted for for about an hour and 45 minutes. But then he appears in this place 10 minutes away. Yes. Okay, okay. He ends up at this lady's house. Um, It was an old neighbor. She was a religious woman. She was known for her generosity. So he asked if he could come inside and talk to her. And according to her account, he was going on and on about horrible incidents which will take place tonight. She uh, did not let him in because it was 1 a.m. He seemed confused. And letting a man inside your home that shows up at 1 a.m. to, quote, talk is never a great idea. So good job, lady neighbor. (laughs) Seriously. That could have ended really poorly for you. Yep. So at 3 a.m., two truck drivers find Stoll's damaged car in a ditch alongside Autobahn 45 near Hagen Sud. Autobahn, in case anyone was curious, is highway in German. I didn't know that. I feel like I should have. I did not either. But (laughs) Nope. We're learning new things. We are learning so many new things. I Google mapped this place too, Hagen Sud. Uh, It's about an hour drive from Hagerseelbach. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So 3 a.m., two truckers. And this was, so what did I say? It's an hour and a half? Hour and 45 minutes. Oh, an hour. It's an hour drive. So he's oh, an hour he's uh, unaccounted for then for about an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. So at 3 a.m., two truckers find his wrecked car in a ditch. And there are three reports that I can find. And I don't know which one is accurate. Okay. Interesting. One report says that the truckers found Stoll barely conscious in his car. Another report says that both truck drivers testified to having seen an injured person in a white jacket walking near the car before they called for emergency services. And a third report says that both truckers claimed to have seen four men in bright clothes walking around the wreckage and that the truckers drove across the way to use a payphone to call for help. And when they got back to the car, all they found was Gunther. Regardless of which one of those happened... They found Gunther naked and heavily injured and barely conscious, slumped in the passenger seat of his car. Oh, boy. At the time, he was still alive, and Gunther claimed that he had been traveling with four men. And again, there are two accounts I found. One was that he said they had ran away after the crash, and one was that he said that they beat him loose and abandoned him there with his car. I mean, I think that means, like, beat him senseless. Right. The truckers asked if the other men were his friends, and he said no. The ambulance arrived to take him to the hospital, but unfortunately, Gunther died on the way there. Ugh. 
An autopsy was done on Gunther's body, despite every indication that he died from the car accident itself, and it was then that they discovered that his injuries showed that someone had driven over him while he was already naked and afterwards put him in the car. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Holy hell. I know. That's crazy to me. Other drivers in the area reported seeing a hitchhiker at the Hagensud exit. Neither the hitchhiker nor the man slash men who were supposedly seen around his car initially have ever been identified. Oh my gosh, how? I know. Well, I mean, I guess that would make sense. Like, it'd be really hard to track down a hitchhiker. I know that because I I researched a murder for two whole years in which there were two hitchhikers and no one knows That's (laughs) true. Yep, that's like the whole Shakespeare story. And that was a very small town and apparently one of the hitchhikers gave a full name. But still, we don't know who he Yeah, I guess that is valid. So also along with the police investigation, they got some interesting information off of Gunther's wife. According to her, she claimed that he had spoke about, quote, them from time to time. They wanted to hurt or kill him. They are on my tail was something that he had said before. But he never explained who they were. So obviously he had a history of paranoia. Or did he? Or was someone really after him? (laughs) This is Frozen Uh. 3. (laughs) It's the theme song for this story. (laughs) Did he have paranoia? Because he ended up murdered in a real weird way. So... Right. We don't know. There uh, There are a lot of theories surrounding this murder. One attributes all the strange behavior to a psychic premonition. (gasps) Oh, I know. I'm into that. He obviously... This is already my favorite theory. I know, me too, even though it's like, it's probably not this one. (laughs) He obviously knew something bad was going to happen to him that night. Some even think he knew exactly what would happen to him that night after he talked to his old neighbor and made reference to the night's, quote, horrible events. Yeah, how did he know? I know. And then this theory also suggests that Gunther was run over by a car with the license plate Y-O-G-T-Z-E, or possibly Y. O six T Z E, which was uh-huh. what he wrote down, right? Which is Ooh. super creepy. Yeah, but probably not what happened. Um, <laughs> we can not. hold on to it in our hearts, we'll but <laughs> probably not. Another theory is that the night's earlier events were just a coincidence, that he was suffering from paranoia or a mental illness. It's not uncommon, apparently, for someone in a state of mental health to, of ill mental health, rather, to strip off their clothes. Apparently, that's something where, like, if someone's having, uh, I I mean, I know, like, just from, like, having panic attacks, how, like, occasionally I'll be like, I have to take off my sweater because I feel like my sweater is smothering me. You almost feel like you're being suffocated. Yeah. Yeah. So I I totally get that. It's possible that he was run over as he wandered naked in the streets. And the drivers of the car that ran over him placed him in his own vehicle and drove him to another location and, like, wrecked the car to try and make make it look like an accident. Yeah. But this doesn't really make too much sense because Gunther was found in the passenger seat, Mm -hmm. so he wasn't driving. So that would be, like... That's out the window. Yeah, why would they stage it like that? That seems weird. And also, Autobahn 45, Highway 45, was a busy highway and probably not the best place to try and secretly stage an accident. You'd think that they would go somewhere, like, more secluded. Oh, yeah, 100%. Why would they do it in front of 
everyone. Yeah. Literally everyone on the freeway. And then okay. put him in the passenger seat. So I don't know how much I believe. All right. Don't love that. That. But the final right. theory that I could find is that he had got naked at some point earlier in the night. Crashed his own car in that location. After the crash, he runs into the road without looking for cars and he's hit. And uh, possibly the people that were putting him back in his car, you know, the men that were supposedly wearing bright white clothes that the truckers claimed to have seen around mm -hmm. the car, they could have been the ones that like hit him and then put him back in his car. Oh, yeah. Some even speculate that it was the truckers themselves and they made up seeing the other people around the car to throw the scent off of them. Yeah, to not yeah. get pinned down for but it. But still that called makes... the cops because they're not monsters. Right. That makes a lot of sense, it actually. It does. The only thing that I have a problem with with that is that you'd think the police would investigate them and right. be able They'd to find have some, some evidence questions yeah, that they had yeah. been the ones to do it, whether it's like forensic evidence on their truck or right. they would look for a second set of tire tracks and prints near the wreck, which as far as I can tell, no one ever found. Yeah, because why would they just take the trucker's word for it and be like, okay, thanks okay, for your sure, help, bye-bye. You. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, no, no. They were the only witnesses. They would be questioned for a long time after that, you would think. Yeah, but... you'd think. You'd th thanks for being a good citizen. No no more questions. What year was this? This was... I was just wondering if this was before, like, people actually did good investigations. Uh, 1984. So I feel like oh, we had forensics. No. Uh, it wasn't like, it. you know, we didn't have great DNA forensics, but we knew, like, forensic science. 100%. They should have been better about it. Regardless of all of this, the murder has never been solved. The police, apparently the police, okay, so here we go. The police followed over 1,200 leads. So they they oh. actually worked this case. It wasn't one of those, you know, we've covered cases before where it's like, the police did nothing. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's like, why it's the never been solved. garbage. Yes. So, but none of the leads have gone very far. There are still hobbyists and true crime enthusiasts attempting to decipher the word yuxt yes. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> yuxt. Uh, because even the police believe that that word had to have meant something. I even read a report. Oh, it had to. I know. I read a report um, once, once. The reason I say once is because this episode was supposed to be recorded last week. So we did our research That's like true. two whole weeks ago. So I'm now like, I should have probably read over these notes. I don't remember a lot of this once stuff. Once upon a time. Once upon a time, I read this report saying that uh, there was a police officer that said, we open this case every year. Like once a year, it gets reopened and we put out, you know, a report of this in like a local newspaper or something. Like we're just hoping someone can shed some light on what the hell this word meant. Yeah, and it's definitely not a license plate. I assume that's been looked no, into. Nobody found anything. I actually, anything. Um, I believe, from what I could tell, that that word combination or the, the letter combination doesn't really match any German license plates. Dang it. Like, it's not the same structure as American license plates. I loved so. that idea. I know, me Man. too. But you'd think that if it was a psychic premonition and he knew that would happen, he would just stay home. Right. Right. Yeah. Why wouldn't why would you go out into yeah. danger unless he thought it was like some sort of prophecy he had to fulfill? And he's like, I have to go out and do my duty for this dangerous world. I don't know. Like, I don't know what either. was happening to this man. I feel like if I had a premonition, I, I get the, these weird feelings sometimes where I'll be like laying in bed, like about to go to sleep. And I'll think to myself, you know, like 
some weird thought i mean everyone gets this you know when you leave your house and you're like did i turn off the stove or like whatever but i'll get really (laughs) weird urges where it's like where it's like i'm gonna go in the living room and move this picture frame Mm -hmm. because i get this weird like pull i have to do it's like this picture frame is gonna fall and break Mm -hmm. of course this never happened because i always like trust my gut and i get up and like fix it but it's stuff like that where it's like if I had a premonition that I was going to get hit by a car with a, it, it was so specific that there was a license plate, I would stay my ass home forever. Yeah. I would I never would go back to out. F inside. I know. Especially I don't understand what night. he was doing. But oh also, my gosh, I know. The weird thing is, remember um, the, the first report where he was at that bar and he like ordered a beer, but he fell off of his stool yeah. before he even took a drink. And people said like right. he was not drunk and he left. He didn't even drink his beer. He like left. Yeah. So, so what's that about? Right? What are our theories on that? I don't was know. there like a universal pull that like pulled him off the stool and was like, you're not supposed to be drinking beer. You're supposed to be off getting hit by a car. <laughs> you're supposed to be getting hit by a car with this license plate number. <laughs> it was like a universal timeline messenger came and like ripped him off the stool. Yeah. I don't know, but that's weird ass. Because I like, also that he just got up and left. Yeah, he got up and left, and maybe it's because he was embarrassed because he fell off his stool and hit his face I mean, on the ground. Sure. I feel <laughs> like I, I probably would be like, oh, actually, you know what? I forgot I had a dentist appointment tomorrow, so I can't drink this beer and I have to go home and I'm never showing my face here again. <laughs> That's very true. If I fell off a stool onto my face at a bar, I'd probably head on out. Yeah, sorry, guys. pretty mortified. I was here to party. Yeah, now I'm here to go home and go to bed. <laughs> it's very true. So anyways, that's a Yolkst fall case. That is Banana Town. Totally. I... And it's like you read some possible theories, but none of them, like, as much as we want to grab on to anything, and I know, like, people in the internet universe are trying to give us things because we're all just looking for answers, but there is no good answer for that. None of it makes any sense. I don't understand what was happening. That is one of the weirdest mysteries I've ever heard. Yeah, it's sort of like every single, like, theory was like, and this is a theory, but dot, 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 here's why that doesn't make sense either. Exactly. So I don't know. Dang. Sorry, Gunther. I love that. Sorry, Gunther, (laughs) but I am obsessed with your name. Yeah, Gunther Stoll. Anyways, tell me a story. All right, well, I'm going to start with the Dorothy Jane Scott murder. Have you heard of this one? I don't think so. The name does not sound familiar. Okay. I mean, it's also not, I guess Dorothy isn't a super common name, but like, that's my grandma's name. Oh, Dorothy. I love that name. But you don't hear it a ton. But Dorothy Jane Scott as a whole is a little bit boring of a name. So maybe it's not ringing a bell until you hear it. But here we go. So Dorothy Jane Scott, she was 32 years old, living in Stanton, California, actually, which is right by Anaheim. So in Orange County. Very close. So not too far Mm -hmm. from home. She this is in 1980. She is a single mom, 32, devout Christian, like the nicest, quietest, loveliest woman, which I feel like is so often how these stories start. Yeah, and it's it never it like so he sad. was an asshole. <laughs> I know. Like she was wonderful. And she uh, had a four year old son named Sean. She was in a relationship with a man named Dennis for many years, but they decided to part ways and he went to live in Missouri. So she was just being a single parent out in California, living her life. She was living with her aunt at the time and lived like 10 minutes from her parents. So like was completely supported and basically just 
worked full time and then came home and hung out with her son. Like didn't go out, wasn't a partier, was just kind of this girl that kept to herself and loved her son and wanted to be the best him that she could be. So she was a secretary to a swingers psych shop, which is a head shop, basically, you know, selling like peace sign tapestry and lava lamps and possibly smoking paraphernalia. But basically a Spencer's gift. Exactly. <laughs> like a little bit of a hippie shop. For sure. Um, it used to be owned by her father, but had been sold to basically friends of theirs. They were still super close with him. So it was just an easy job to have. She was basically working with friends and she was just a secretary in the back room. So she was able to work there full time, make some good money, still be flexible and with her kid, whatever. So she would drop her son off at her mom and dad's, Jacob and Vera, every day and then go to work, which like they become important later. So just mentioning them for a second. But in the early months of 1980, Dorothy started getting these really terrible phone calls. She would get a couple of phone calls where this man would be on the other end declaring his love for her, saying yeah. he was obsessed with her. And then the next week, it would be him saying he was going to take her life and kill her if she ever looked or spoke to another man. Oh, my God. I wonder so, who killed her. I know. Who could it have been? <laughs> Go on. She told her parents and all of her family about these calls. She wasn't keeping it to herself. She was immediately like, you guys, this guy is threatening my life. He's saying he's obsessed with me. He's even telling her, like, what she's wearing. Like, oh my the God. route that she took to get to work. Like, he's clearly seeing her, but she doesn't understand how. Um, there's no one that she, like, to her knowledge is around her work or her home or anything. She has no clue as this guy is, but she does always mention that she recognizes the guy's voice. She just can't place him. She keeps saying, like, I swear I know this guy's voice, but it's no one that I work with, but I swear I've talked to him before. It sounds so familiar, but I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what to do. Um, she starts taking sweet woman, starts taking self-defense classes and considers getting a gun for the house, but decides not to because she has a four-year-old son and doesn't want to risk that. But she's just, she's starting to freak out. So time passes. The calls are just getting worse and worse. He's calling weekly. Um, she's starting to freak out. Uh, but May 28th, 1980 hits. She is at a work meeting at the psych shop. And during the meeting, her coworker Conrad is like, drenched in sweat his eyes are barely staying open his arm is turning bright red and she's like dude what is going on with you your arm is getting more and more red as time goes i think i should take you to the hospital so her conrad and another coworker pam all head off to uc irvine medical at about 9 p.m after the work meeting they drop him off turns out he has a black widow spider bite oh no they go in i know horrible <laughs> poor conrad so he's being treated at the hospital. They're there um, into the wee hours of the morning. And then they're getting discharged from the hospital. And Dorothy says, I am going to go grab the car because Conrad is like weak and needs to be in a wheelchair. So she's like, let me go grab the car. About 20 minutes passes and Conrad and Pam, the other coworker, are standing at the entrance of the hospital, sort of like, yo, Dorothy, where are you is? Yeah, what like, is it's happening? It's been 20 minutes. So they're standing there for a while, and then they finally start to walk towards the parking garage because they're like, what is going on? Maybe we should just meet her halfway. And as they're starting to walk towards the parking garage, her station wagon comes barreling towards them with the high beams on. So they're completely blinded. They can't see who's behind the wheel, but they kind of have to hop out of the way because it's speeding towards them. So oh my God, the this car is speeds. like a horror movie. Isn't it? So the car Yikes. speeds past them, it doesn't pick them up, goes right past them. Again, they can't even see who's in there because of the high beams. The car leaves the parking lot, turns right, and speeds off. 
So they're like, uh, <laughs> what is going on? So, like, Dorothy is a good woman, as I've said before. So they're like, she wouldn't just leave us. I bet something urgent came up. Maybe her yeah, son maybe is in trouble. Yeah, maybe your son got hurt or something. Yeah. So this is the part I don't fully understand. Conrad and Pam stayed at the hospital for two hours thinking that Dorothy was coming back for them. And I'm kind of like, why wouldn't you, like, call a cab or somebody else? But they sit there for two hours. And I mean, this is the 80s, so I know there's no cell phones or anything, but I just feel like they could have called for another ride somehow. But they wait for two hours. They're like, this is so weird. Dorothy's not coming back, I guess. So they find a payphone finally and call Dorothy's parents, Jacob and Vera, and are like, hey, did Dorothy come home? What's going on? They're like, we have not seen her. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. She, they had stopped home. I forgot this detail. They had stopped home on the way to the hospital so she could check on her son, Sean, and to, this is an important detail, change from a black scarf to a red scarf and that comes in later mm. so they were like not since she stopped home to get the scarf we haven't seen her so they they call for another ride home whatever but they also call the police the police say okay she hasn't been missing for that long so we're not gonna like make it a missing persons report yet but we'll check again in the morning and then at about 4 30 a.m um 10 miles from uc irvine medical center by a patrolling police officer dorothy's station wagon is found dumped in an alley and set on fire oh my god there's no sign of dorothy anywhere no footprints no clothing nothing left behind to hint at where she or anyone else may be it's just the burning car hanging out in the alley so then this becomes a bigger deal in search for dorothy everybody's getting involved but there are just there are no leads nobody has any idea People mention the phone calls that have been made, but they say, like, we have no clue who it was. Um, we don't know anything about it. So they do check in with her ex-boyfriend, who is now living in Missouri, but he has, like, an airtight alibi. He's been in Missouri. It's definitely not him. So they're like, we don't know what to do. But June 4th, just a week after Dorothy went missing, and while the search is ongoing, her parents receive a call from a male who simply says, I've got her. And Hung up. That's all he said. Creepy as fuck. It turns out this is going to be the first call of just many. He starts calling every Wednesday afternoon for four years. Are you serious? Four years this hunt goes on. They are interviewing everybody in town, everyone who shopped at the head shop, everybody who obviously worked at the head shop, worked nearby, everyone who's connected to the family, anyone, and they have no leads, no evidence, no nothing. So... They're just, this is an ongoing search. They do start tapping um, Jacob and Vera, her parents' phone, because they're getting this call weekly, but the caller is smart and never stays on the phone long enough for them to get a trace. So each week he just keeps calling, either saying things like, I've got her, she's with me, she's mine forever, and then completely switching gears and saying, I killed her, I chopped her into bits, oh, blah, blah, blah. God. So he keeps switching his story, but he's saying these terrible things to Vera, her mom, is the one who picks it up every time until finally 1984 i said four years later jacob answers the phone one of the wednesdays the caller says something along the lines of i've got her as per usual hangs up but then doesn't call again for months so, so obviously nobody that shook sure. him up yes jacob answering the phone for whatever reason really shook him up and he didn't call again for months and then an article was printed about dorothy saying just like how it was ongoing and everyone was still searching and the caller ends up calling the paper that it was printed in and says, I killed Dorothy Scott. 
She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else and I killed her. And Dorothy definitely didn't have a boyfriend. She wasn't talking to her ex-boyfriend as they already looked into him. Nobody knew what he was talking about. He was just an obsessed stalker. But on top of those weird sentences that he uttered, he also gave details about how she went home, changed from a black scarf to a red scarf. Mm. He said how she went to the hospital for her co-worker's Black Widow spider bite. He knew all these crazy inside details that weren't printed in the paper, that weren't talked about to anybody. So they're like, oh shit, this really is our guy who's been calling and being horrible, but we have no way to catch him because we can't trace these calls. So that just made everything more disgusting and horrible. But then in, what month was it? August, August 6, 1984, a construction worker came across a set of bones off Santa Canyon Road, northeast of Anaheim, um, and laying next to the skeletal remains of a dog that he found first. And that's what he started digging up were partially scorched human bones. So they get the human bones out and start to investigate. And according to dental records and some of the jewelry and the watch that was left behind, they're able to link it to Dorothy Mm -hmm. Scott discovered finally four years later, the watch, the creepy part was the watch had stopped working at 1230 on May 29th, 1980, which was um, an hour after the car went flying out of the hospital. So they believe she was murdered like just an hour after they saw that station wagon fly by, which I feel like is just so horrible it's to horrible. learn because they'd been holding out hope yeah. for so long when really her death happened like immediately it's horrible it's so but sad. it's also like i don't know what's worse knowing that she died an hour after that or thinking that he actually did keep her for years yeah. or even even months right. like torturing or raping or like doing horrible things to her like part of me is like at least she died an hour after yeah that's true that could almost bring you peace where it's like it happened immediately she wasn't kept in a basement for years um oh but it's 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 just so sad like worst yeah it's so awful so basically the day that the remains were found the very next day vera and jacob got their very last phone call from this asshole that just said is dorothy there and he hung up that was the last time he ever called no one has ever found who this dick bag is there are still no answers per- for poor jacob and vera actually they passed away in 1994 and 2001 respectively so they died not knowing who killed their daughter which just makes me so depressed and i hate it and yeah there's just i mean like, nobody has any idea yeah and that sucks because the fact that the last phone call came in the day after the remains were found mm-hmm Definitely like, gives credence to the fact that like he didn't the the reason the phone call s- stopped was not because he w- died or was arrested. It was because like his game right. couldn't go on any longer. Like the body was found. Right. He couldn't pretend like he had her or like make them think that he had her or you know what right. I mean? So like he literally is still well, maybe not is still out there, but was still out there and probably was never brought to justice for well, other things. Read it. Reddit being the amazing place Love it is Reddit. has a pretty <laughs> yes we do <laughs> and I knew I could count on them so I went to them with this case and there actually is an interesting theory okay so this happened this 
guy was brought forward because sweet Sean, if you remember Dorothy's son, mm-hmm. who's now a big old grown up, has still been searching for his mother's killer and like is not going to give up no matter what. So he's still on the hunt, sweet man. Um, and somebody wrote him, I guess, an email and then somebody just like posted all of the info on Reddit. But somebody brought sh- to Sean's attention a man named Mike Butler, who also lived uh, near Anaheim in Orange County. And apparently had a sister who worked at the head shop with Dorothy, but he also probably, nobody is sure, worked at an auto body shop that was in the same strip mall as the head shop, is what most people believe. They know he worked at an auto body shop. Nobody was able to, like, 100% find out which one it was, but it is believed is the one in the same strip mall, and his sister worked at the head shop, so two connections right there. Yeah. Um... And he was known to be involved in cult-like activities. Uh. He called himself super religious, but everyone around him said, like, no, 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 he's not religious. He's, like, into some really insane stuff, which people even say that could explain why there were also dog bones found by Oh, yeah, that's Dorothy's true. Bones. I didn't even that, think like, of that. Maybe he was doing some sort of animal sacrifice as well, but he maybe was that's known why for he brought little... the body there because he had already dumped something there. Yes, 100%. That was like his burial area. So that's kind of the theory around that. And it also connects to um, Jacob, Dorothy's dad, used to own that head shop and still, even though he sold it to somebody else, still came around a lot because he, like I said, the family was still really involved with the shop and he still came by to check on it all the time, Mm -hmm. which could, somebody else theorized, which I kind of liked, that maybe Jacob and this guy at the auto body shop Mike Butler had crossed paths and maybe that's why when Jacob answered the phone, Mike freaked out because he was like, oh, this dude's going to recognize my voice. Just like Dorothy recognized his voice because maybe she crossed paths with him in that damn strip mall or when he came to visit his sister and it was probably someone that she came in contact with every once yes, in a so while. so irregularly. Yes, that she could recognize the voice but not place it, which is exactly how she felt. So... Mike Butler is probably the strongest suspect because he's a little bit of a crazy. He probably, like, just from afar down in the strip mall had a crush on Miss Dorothy and got into some stalking. And maybe that's why he murdered her. I don't know. I kind of like this theory. I'm into it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's the only thing I've got (laughs) with the information that I I have. But... Literally in the in the diving I did on the internet, this is the only thing that like somewhat makes sense. I wonder if they questioned that guy. So they did. It was I guess he was questioned at some point, but like way late in the investigation, like years later, and they just didn't have enough evidence to hold him. Like I think he had been brought to their attention at one point because he was the brother of what's her toes at the head shop, but they there just wasn't enough to hold him and now like years later he's getting brought up again and Sean is trying to kind of bring this guy to light again and say like maybe we look back into him so it's ongoing still but it's it's horrible it's sad i hate it it's so awful too because it wasn't one of those stories where it was like she was getting weird phone calls and she did nothing about it it was like no she was getting these weird phone calls she told everyone she knew which a like that's the first thing you should do second thing you should do is take self-defense classes Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i understand why she didn't buy a gun but it was like she did the things that she should have done i mean i would have fucking reported it to the police like literally second phone call i would have been like nine issue with it (laughs) Yes, that's my one issue with it is I think she should have told authorities sooner, but 
I mean, maybe she was just, I don't know. You can never get in someone's head. Like, she was probably just so shocked, so appalled, so freaked out. She's like, I don't even know what to do. Maybe I can somehow handle this myself, and I'm going to try and take these self-defense classes. But, man, uh, poor Dorothy. Poor Dorothy. I wish I had a follow-up no, that so wasn't sad. even, like, more depressing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I already know your next story, and I already want to die. <laughs> but it's an important story to tell. That's how I felt. Um, so, okay. My second story today Here we go. is not fun in any way. Uh, it's actually one of the saddest and most infuriating stories I've ever read. And I almost didn't do it, but I, like you said, like, I feel like it's a story that everyone should know. So yes. I continue to research it. So I'm going to be telling you the story of a 19-year-old American soldier named Lavina Johnson. Lavina Johnson was born and raised in Missouri. Her father was in the Army. He served for three years, and after his discharge, he went to college to earn a doctorate in psychology. Both he and his wife, Lavina's mother, had civilian jobs in troop support for the Army. They had been married for 43 years, and they have five children. Because of the amount of kids they had, Lavina felt she should pay her own way through college, and even though her mom and dad were hesitant, she was confident that... The United States Army seemed like a good way to do it. Uh, A little more background on Lavina. Lavina played the violin. She wanted to be a movie producer. And she graduated high school with honors. Immediately after she joined the Army, um, uh, immediately after high school, rather, she joined the Army. And at 19, she was deployed to Iraq and stationed in Balad. Eight weeks later, Lavina's parents' doorbell rang early in the morning, and according to her father, John, he said, Linda got up and looked out the window, and she said, John, there's a soldier standing on the porch, and he knew then that something had happened to his daughter, which has to be Mm. the worst thing ever. The absolute worst feeling you can have in your entire life when you see that soldier and you're like, I know you're here about my daughter. There's no other reason that you would be here on my porch. Ugh. Your heart just sinks. That's so sad. So the soldier told them that Lavina was dead and that the cause of death was self-inflicted wounds. The Johnsons could not and did not believe what they were hearing. They had just spoken to Lavina on the phone two days before, and she was telling them about her plans and about how she was going to start a new job at the Army base that she was excited about. And her outfit, the 129th Corps Support Battalion, would be back in the States in a few months, and that she was excited that she got to come home to decorate the Christmas tree that year. And she said, do not decorate it without me. That's my favorite thing to do. She was just excited to come home. Um <sighs> The army wouldn't give John any information. He said the information they were giving him was vague and contradictory. Like the the few little tidbits they did give him were just didn't make any sense. And he told the media at the time, like immediately that he had suspicions about his daughter's death, even as she was being buried with military honors. Like he was he was speaking out about it. Yeah. Um, After her death, she was promoted to private first class and awarded good conduct and commendation medals. The army continued to deflect and wouldn't give the Johnson family more information. John Johnson was upset, obviously, and he said that the army told him that she committed suicide but wouldn't even tell him how. Like, did she jump off a bridge? Did she hang herself? Like, why won't they give me any information? That is ridiculous. As to, like, how she killed Tell the family members. Yeah. Ugh. There was an. Af- My blood is already boiling. I know it's already like. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, why? 
I know. There was an official investigation conducted by special agents from the U.S. Army Criminal Investigation Command, which investigates soldiers' deaths and crimes within the Army. Like, soldiers' deaths when they die, um, what's it called? When you don't die in the line of fire. When you die uh, is not a, a part of war. Dishonorable? No, it's no, a, I, don't I don't remember know. what it's called, but it's like when you die. I knew dishonorable wasn't right, <laughs> but it's all I had to <laughs> offer. Dishonor. <laughs> um, yeah, when you die like at I the barracks, you know, um, they're yeah, the ones that I know what you mean. I don't know the title. I don't either. But uh, it took months. The investigation took months. And eventually they concluded that Private Johnson shot herself in the mouth with her M-16 rifle in a contractor's tent on the military base in Iraq. Hmm. The report... Did she? Did she, though? Really? The report included witness testimony suggesting that she may have been depressed over a recent breakup, which her father would have none of. Like, he just would have none of that. He was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, don't give me that Yeah, garbage. he even said, like, she wasn't even in that, like, series of a relationship. But, okay. Yeah, he would know, but fine. So he demanded to see the Army's evidence that they collected. He filed Freedom of Information Acts. He even went to his local government and asked for their assistance. In a statement to St. Louis Public Radio, um, U.S. Representative William Lacey Clay said that his staff devoted hundreds of hours to helping the Johnson family discover the truth about the case including helping them get the original autopsy report and photos. Uh, So this is where it gets really frustrating. After examining the original autopsy photos, Johnson, as well as the St. Louis uh, local authorities, believed that Lavina was raped, beaten, and murdered. He did have her body (sighs) exhumed to have an independent autopsy done, but it was inconclusive by that time because this was years later that he finally got to exhume her body. Johnson and his team of helpers disputes pretty much everything that the Army has claimed. Um, And this is based on the autopsy report. One, her arms were too short to shoot herself in the head with her own rifle, especially the mouth. Two, the wound in her head was way too small to be made by an M16. Non-Army investigators say it looks more like the wound from a 9mm. Three, the bullet she shot herself with was never found... So, okay. That, yeah, that right there, I think, points to everything we need to know. Four, there was no suicide note. And five, her commanding officer's report was that she was happy and healthy and that her behavior had not changed at all the day of her death. Yep. So, as far as her autopsy report that her father eventually managed to get a hold of, um, the report and photographs within revealed Lavina Johnson had a broken nose a black eye, she had loose teeth, she had burns from a corrosive chemical on her genitals, and a gunshot wound that seemed inconsistent with suicide. Yeah, looks like she was beaten up, yeah. you big But fools. also, she had, like, acid poured on her genitals. And several oh, experts uh, suspect that the chemical burns were to destroy DNA evidence of rape. Freaking sickos, I can't even handle it. Something that was also fishy, the second autopsy also showed, like, the, the um, autopsy that was done when she her body was brought back to the States, also showed that the military had removed part of Lavina's tongue, vagina, and anus, and did not tell the Johnsons or document this in the first autopsy. 
And oh, hi, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, this is actually not the first time this has happened. The taking of body parts in some of the cases, um, the heart or the brain or both has occurred to other bodies of female soldiers whose deaths were ruled non-combat related. Mm, my God. What? How is this a thing? Oh, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a it's a big thing. <laughs> what? Um, I, I, okay, I'm just baffled. Continue. Despite all of this, the army stands by its findings. They said that the death was a tragic suicide and that the investigation was lengthy and thorough and that investigators would gladly reopen the case if credible evidence surfaced. Seriously, what the fuck? What more credible evidence do you need that literally none of your findings make any sense yeah. and look at the acid and the size of the wound in the mouth and the bruise it like nothing yeah. adds up. Well, in 2011, the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute agreed to review the case. Usually their reviews last one year, but with Lavina, they spent three years reviewing the case. And after the three years, Cheryl McCollum, who worked on the case, told St. Louis uh, Public Radio that she faults the Army for poor communication, but that she does not disagree with their findings. She went on to say that what? they reviewed every page of the documents, the photographs, talked to witnesses and dozens of independent experts, and even recreated the scene. Um, she said, there was nothing about this case that we could go back to the Army to say, you need to relook at it. We didn't have anything new. We didn't have anything that suggested wrongdoing. And I just cannot, cannot believe that this investigative nope. institute could thoroughly investigate this case, see the autopsy photos, which I have now seen, by the way, and I do not suggest anyone go looking for them, could come to the conclusion that this was a suicide and that there was no wrongdoing on behalf of the United States Army. It is complete garbage. I've seen the photos, too, and they I absolutely regret looking at them. And I think for anyone who might have sensitivity to very graphic, violent photos, do not, not look at them. Look but at them. it is – but you literally can be anyone in the universe, like a totally separate subject, look at the photo and say that is not a suicide. This woman was attacked and well, murdered. the thing is, is like maybe she did kill herself after she was raped and beaten and had acid porn on After her genitals like maybe she did but like there's an investigation that needs to happen here <laughs> right you need to see who tortured her before this happened like yeah maybe it led her to suicide but she did not do all of the other garbage that was found and it's insane well that people are claiming yeah. they did a thorough investigation and came, and came to, to the conclusion, conclusion that like she just killed herself because she got broken up with no no Oh my gosh. And that feels so sexist too to say. Like uh, it's a she woman was a hurt. And she, you know, they can't she handle was a woman. breakups. She was emotional from her heartbreak and, you know, she she couldn't she couldn't handle the army. She had to do yeah. this. Like, I mean, it's okay, not surprising that this is being covered up by the army, especially nope. with the army's history of covering up sexual assault, even I mean dishonorably yeah. discharging people who report their sexual assaults. Exactly. So today, like, yeah, this is not a no, shock. This, I mean, I'm not shocked, but it is just, it's like, there's so much Horrible. evidence that it's like, how could you possibly? So today, no one wants to touch the case. Lavina's father believes that the Pentagon has a hand in stifling this story. Uh, that if someone like 60 Minutes or ABC News were to air stories such as Lavina's, the military would pull advertising from those channels. 
and it, this was a quote from him, the military sure as heck don't want to admit black female soldiers are being raped and murdered because they're having a hard time recruiting and retaining black females. Oh he also God. said major media stories of brutally raped black female soldiers would devastate recruiting. And this may sound like a conspiracy theory, but it's not. The Pentagon has tried to intimidate reporters and editors working on stories about Lavina. I believe it. Yeah. Essence Magazine specifically was threatened to have their military ad dollars pulled if they ran a story on Lavina. And the magazine eventually caved to the Pentagon running a watered down story as the editors reportedly said their survival depended on military advertising, which in Essence's case is seeking young black women recruits such as Lavina. Like that's oh, what the magazine, gosh. like that's what the ads were specifically doing in Essence magazine. So is to end on some more depressing stuff in July of 2005, this is, has nothing to do with this case. It's just like another example um, in July of 2005, Jamie Lee Jones, who was 20 at the time and working in Iraq, alleged that she was gang raped and beaten by fellow KBR employees and locked in a shipping container by managers after she sought out law enforcement. Jones and her lawyers, who lost the federal civil suit against KBR in July of 2005, said that 40 other female KBR employees who worked in Afghanistan and Iraq told them stories of rape, beatings, and sexual harassment. Oh, my God. And that's just, like, the latest large case against the United States Army when it comes to multiple sexual assaults and beatings that you can't do anything. You can't, like, that's the thing with, like... You can't. With military cases, too, it's not something you can't just, like, sue the military. Like, it has to go through... anything about it. Yeah, it it has to go through, like, military um, avenues. Right. And it's it's just going to end up getting you kicked out, and it's all going to be completely covered. Like, so many people say, you know, if you... If you are assaulted, tell the truth and tell someone. And I, I do think in general, absolutely, that should be that should be the way. But in the army, you literally, mm-hmm. that will not work for you ever. Like that has never gone no, well for any Not even woman, for and men. And that's so upsetting. Uh, it's now no, coming yeah, out that's today true. that I shouldn't just men say women. are also raped uh, quite a bit in the army. Yeah. And that's true. they are the same. They can't go to anyone. They will literally be Nobody gets kicked out of the army. And have, if you're dishonorably discharged, you don't get anything. You don't get, like, you don't, you're not a veteran. You know what I mean? Like, you don't get health care. You don't get, you know, you're not taken care of. You end up just not counting. Yeah. It's like, not only were you assaulted and went through something so traumatizing, but now you are kicked out of the army and you're awarded nothing. You're not known as a veteran. You are just, you just disappear into the background. You're forgotten. And that is And you're also dealing with the fact that you were raped. Yep, exactly. And you're traumatized for the rest of your life with nothing, nothing, no silver no. lining to show it that like there is you were a very anything. good story, so uh, very good story. There's a very, a really good movie. Um, it does not have to do with sexual assault, but it does have to do with um, uh, something happening with the military. It's called In the Valley of Ella. Have you seen it? I have not. It's really good. It's Tommy Lee Jones and Levin. Charlize Theron. Oh, and love it Tommy Lee Jones's son, basically, he's told by the army that he went AWOL 
Um, but he was former military, so he decides, like, well, I'm going to go investigate it. And, like, the whole movie is about, like, just showing how difficult it is to deal with the military because they have their own jurisdiction. Like, you can't right. even have local police look into it because they... Yeah, they're truly just doing whatever yeah. they want. and it's... Uh, the movie's really good. It is very sad. You will cry. Uh, yeah, Susan Sarandon. Like I already Susan want to cry from in story. it as well. It's very good. I oh, highly recommend. What it. is this beautiful cast? Yeah. Yes, but um, oh that's Lavina Johnson, and that's my least favorite story I think I've ever told on the show. Yeah, that is one of the absolute worst. I think that may it's either the worst or it's tied with that episode we did about like child murderers. Oh, good that lord! Was very yeah, dark that was well, that was so dark that it was like, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, that was maybe like why did we put it was this the same episode with, like, out? The... Wasn't that the one with my yeah, sister? Yeah, it was the one with your sister, and then the other one was the one with my sister and my brother in law. Where like we oh, were telling yeah. all these stories, but it was like the family episode, and we were like, "Why are we doing yes. this? Like this is so why are we talking about horrible. horrible families? Yeah, um, apparently when we get together with our sisters, yeah, just we keep go us wrong. out of the same room as our siblings." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Okay, cheer me up yeah, with another um, story of murder. <laughs> murder. <laughs> I was going to say, this is also a depressing story, but I do think, yeah, because of the ability to just, like, for women to just, like, not, or men, I keep just saying women, for anyone in the military to not even be able to, like, get their story out, that is so awful. So at least that is not happening in this story, but I wouldn't say it's jolly. Okay, so this, we're flashing forward, we were in 80s in the last story, we're in the 90s now. December 6th, 1991, we're in Austin, Texas. Um, Also, the theme of this, in case anybody has heard it and wants to, like, chime in and pretend you're talking to us while you're listening, this is the Yogurt Shop Murder. Oh, yeah, you said something about this. I don't think I know this one. Yes, I had, like, briefly heard about it before, but once I started reading about it, I was like, what? I didn't know any of this. Okay, December 6th, 1991, Austin, Texas. There are um, two... Girls who are shopping at a, it's called the North Cross Mall. They're just hanging out. Their names are Sarah Harberson and her 13-year-old friend, she's 15, Sarah, and her 13-year-old friend, Amy Ayers. They're hanging out at the mall. And then they walk over to a yogurt shop called I Can't Believe It's Yogurt, okay. which is just a special name. <laughs> there you are. I Can't I Believe can It's Yogurt, which names, is in a little strip mall. <laughs> 100%. Um, they go over to meet Sarah's sister, Jennifer, and her friend and coworker, Eliza Thomas. They're both 17-year-olds working the late shift at the yogurt shop, and the girls walk over there to wait, wait it out while they're closing up the shop, and they're all going to go have a sleepover together. So that's the plan. They're in there hanging out. Then sometime after 10 p.m., um, while the girls are closing up, they think around... Like, probably 10.30. It's hard to know exactly what happened, and you'll find out why, but they think the timeline is probably, like, 10.30. Sometime in the 10 o'clock hour, um, there was a break-in, either meant to be a burglary or something more personal. No one is really sure, but someone breaks into the yogurt shop, murders all four girls, and then lights the yogurt shop on fire. But at first, all that is seen is the fire. There's a patrolling officer who's just, like, driving by his name is troy gay and he's driving by and he sees smoke rising from the strip mall so he immediately pulls in calls the fire department they come in and they start extinguishing the fire they're just doing their job but it's not until the fire is extinguished and they're doing their 
you know, walk through when they discover there are bodies in there. They had no idea that anyone would still be there because the yogurt shop should have been closed. I mean, everything else was shut down the strip mall. But they go in, they discover like some very, at this point, because of the fire, very destroyed, but female bodies. Jennifer, Sarah, Amy, and Eliza are all dead, of course. They are naked, bound, and gagged with their own clothing. Um, Amy's body was discovered. She was the 13-year-old, the youngest. She was discovered in the middle of the back room of the yogurt shop, while Jennifer, Sarah, and Eliza were found in the rear of the back room, clustered in a corner. Eliza and Sarah were actually stacked on top of each other, and Jennifer was just close by. So the girl's legs were spread wide open, and there was an ice cream scoop placed between one of the girl's legs. What the fuck? Their bodies were... I know. It's... It's disgusting. Their bodies were burned almost beyond recognition, as the killer or killers had collected napkins and other items from around the store, thrown them on top of the girls, doused them and the bodies with lighter fluid, lighting the shop ablaze and fleeing. They also stole about $500 from the cash register. So autopsies were done on the girls, and they uncovered that before they were lit ablaze, they were all shot in the back of the head execution style. And at least two of the girls had been raped. Authorities also informed the media that two guns had been used to commit the murders, so it suggests that there may have been at least two people present to carry out the crime. Um, So despite a huge police investigation, nobody was ever able to find anything. They were interviewing every customer that had come in and out, friends and family of the girls. Nobody was finding any sort of leads. So... There were a lot of issues with everything that was going on. I mean, the firemen came and they did their jobs. They were extinguishing the fire. But because of extinguishing the fire, they probably sprayed away a lot of forensic evidence. Yeah, like evidence. how would they even know um, that there was exactly like that there? Right. So, like, between the fire and them extinguishing it, like, there was nothing left. So... Uh, And also in the early 1990s, we didn't have like the full expertise that we have now. There was only one fingerprint unit, I guess, and just like not enough time to like go through everything. And they just there were not enough people in the database and they were just not making any connections. So they started to just kind of go along with, well, who could be attached to this? We don't have enough evidence to connect to anybody, but let's look at some like shady people. So in Texas at the time, there was this guy named Kenneth Allen McDuff, who was the first guy who was looked into. He was a Texas serial killer um, suspected of at least 14 murders around this same time, and he was known for killing female teens. So he seemed right, kind of like the guy who would have done this. Um, he actually was convicted of his previous murders and in 1996 was put into the electric chair and when they asked him if he had any last words, he actually said, I was the yogurt shop killer, thinking like maybe that would save him from being killed and they'd look into him more, but they just killed yeah, him. Yeah, but they anyway were like, well, then I don't we think... want to kill you even more. So yeah. we were going to kill you anyway. So they <laughs> went ahead and killed him. And then actually, when they went back uh, and looked at the fingerprints, it didn't link back to him anyway, uh, the fingerprints or the hair. So they were like, he was just an asshole. So. He's dead. He's out of the way. Then they start looking into this guy, Maurice Pierce, who I guess they had looked into just eight days after the murder. He was a 16-year-old boy who had been at the North Cross Mall that day with a gun. Damn. Um, and it was a twenty-two caliber handgun. Know? I know. So it's like, oh, <laughs> it was definitely him. But when he was questioned by authorities, um, 
he nothing came of the lead, like where he had been and who he had crossed paths with wasn't leading up to the same timeline. And when his gun was tested, it did not match up to the murder weapon. So they ruled him out again. But then this was in 1991. So then we flash forward to 1999. Years went by with no arrests, no leads, no nothing. So the case was passed on to new detectives at this time. And then four suspects were who were now in their 20s were taken into custody. And this Maurice Pierce, who was questioned the mm-hmm. first time, but his gun didn't match up, was one of them. And then his three best friends, or they were his best friends when they were teenagers, Forrest Wellborn, Michael Scott. Hey, Michael, Michael Scott. Scott from The Office. <laughs> I know. It made me giggle in this sad, sad story. I had to have one little laugh. Uh, Forrest Wellborn, Michael Scott, and Robert Springsteen were his three friends. So they um, were all besties back in the day. At that time, they were all brought in together. And one of the suspects, Michael Scott, confessed to the killings, actually, when they were questioned for, like, days on end. And also Robert Springsteen confessed to the killings. After the confessions, the police were able to, you know, take them in and say, okay, we've got our killers. The other two guys were... uh, They didn't confess and they were able to be let off because no evidence pointed to them and none of the forensics lined up. So they were released. The other two were put in jail and they tried many times to like get these guys life in prison. There were several trials, but in one of the trials, um, there were serious concerns raised that Springsteen and Scott may have actually been innocent because if they looked back, there was no physical evidence linking either of them to the crime. The timeline still did not add up. And a video had then surfaced of one of the detectives holding a gun to one of the boys to coerce a <sighs> confession. I was actually so going to say something about coerced confession, because even if like the there wasn't a gun pointed, there has been evidence that repeated days of questioning a person, people yeah. have literally broken down, especially if they aren't like super intelligent. Um, so like younger, I mean, everyone's seen making a murderer, but like if they're younger or just not super sharp, like they think, you know what, I'll just say I did it so I can fucking get out of here. And then with like an investigation, they'll see that like, there's no way I could have done it. Right. So I just want to go home. Oh, so let me go home. But there's a fucking video with a cop pointing a gun at the kid. Yeah. Okay. So that case is thrown out regardless. Drop it. So. This is now 15 years after the yogurt shop murders were committed, and the case at this point has to be completely thrown out because the two guys that they thought they had, they absolutely And even if they did, sorry, you can't point a gun at a 20-year-old kid's head and say, like, he confessed on his own. Exactly. It's like, no. Yeah. So, yeah, though, obviously that detective got in a shit ton of trouble and then the boys were released. So, yeah. I know. Honestly, I thought that's like he was punished. Wow. Lots of times it's like, um, you're just going to be on paid suspended leave. (laughs) With all your benefits. He actually did. (laughs) Yes. I actually think he did get fired. Good. And I think it's because. I do think it's because of the, like, fragility of this case, Mm -hmm. I guess. Whenever it's, like, young girls, everyone flips out about it. And they were just like, how dare you, like, muddle this case. Well, and also, were the kids white? Yes. Yeah. Well, that probably has something to do with it, too. Yep. That's a good point. Not to be that person, but I am that person, so. (laughs) You, well, you're 100% correct. And if anyone wants to fight us on it, feel free. Read a history book. Go on. Sorry. I'm sorry I'm (laughs) interrupting you. No, I love it. Hey, this is this is interactive. Um, 
So then, later in 2008, DNA testing was done. We're, we now have some advancements. They were able to collect DNA evidence from Amy Ayers, the 13-year-old. And the May DNA did not match any of those four boys. It didn't match the any of the serial killers in the area. Nada. So... Um, the authorities, this is where like things start to get crappy. So authorities submitted the DNA evidence to several databases to be studied. It didn't connect back to any of the unidentified customers that came in because apparently, or identified customers, sorry, I don't know why I said unidentified, uh, the customers who they had like all questioned, it didn't match any of them. Even these like super shady guys who apparently were in there close to closing that a couple of the witnesses had seen, it didn't match them. So it was just, it still wasn't matching up to anybody, but police still to this day are trying to submit the DNA evidence to, um, different databases that are like, uh, pairing i guess it's like they were able to see that the dna strand i don't fully understand the science so i'm like trying to repeat this the best way that i read it but apparently the dna strand points to being that of a male we know that for sure but it could connect to a pool of like a thousand men and police officers know that but they still want to submit it to these like new databases that are doing testing on these DNA male strands just to even narrow it down to that thousand people and see if anything hits. Is it something where like, is it a DNA marker thing? Yes. It's called like YSTR yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. So basically I think we all have nine DNA markers yeah, and sometimes like a DNA sample, if it's too small or if it's only of a certain thing or blah, 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 blah. Um, like, for example, the Zodiac Killer, we have a sample of his DNA, but we only have four of his markers. Yeah. So there's five missing markers. So you can't rule anyone out or in based on those markers, but you can sort of get a pool of people that you can look at. Totally. So that's what sucks about it is like investigators were starting to get really excited because they're like, we have this DNA, we have the labs that like can do things for us. So... They, in 2017, Austin police said that they submitted um, this DNA into one of those YSTR databases in the University of Florida, and they got a hit. They got mm -hmm. notification that they got a hit. And they were like, this is significant. This is amazing. This is what we've been waiting for. So they're like, the FBI is definitely going to participate with us because this is huge. So they find out that the FBI, like, they send in anonymous YSTR profiles to aid forensic scientists in learning frequencies, and it's all just, like, for scientific research. So they contact the FBI, and they're like, hey, one of the profiles you submitted was a hit to what we submitted, so we would love to get that information from you. And the FBI is like, no, no, we keep that confidential. That's just for uh, our research and just for our testing. So, like we don't release that information. They're like, I, I mean, we I somewhat understand, understand what you're saying, but like we're However, also years into this case, this could be a huge breakthrough for us. And even if you're releasing like this pool of a thousand men, we really think this is worth looking into. Like, could you please release this to us? Like they sent a letter to Congress. They sent a letter to everybody. They're like pleading, please release it. And the FBI is still like, no, I don't think, you realize how inconclusive this information could be. We are not going to release this. It's anonymous. It's confidential. Goodbye. 
So still to this day here in 2020, they're still fighting. They're writing letters to whoever will listen. The city of Austin is like, we want to move forward. We want to put this behind us. These freaking families who have been mourning the loss of their young daughters for years, like you never get over something like that, are just looking for closure and something that they can count on and something that can help them move on. And because of the FBI, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, at least it would be nice if the FBI could at least say like, well, we got these DNA samples from this state. Or like at least give a little more information. I don't know, because like, I understand that it's like completely inconclusive. And like, totally, I get it. It's completely inconclusive. But if we get the names, like, it's not like we're going to go shaking down their doors. We could at least just cross reference it with like the names on our list, like the names of the people that worked at the mall and the names of the people. You know what I mean? Right. There it are things we could do with this information. In the area. Yeah. Like any family members <sighs> of someone in the area, anything. It's like it would just it would narrow it down a lot. It would give some sort of arrows pointing to something like they just have nothing to go on now. Like those what they had before, like with the hair and the fingerprints, it's not matching up to anyone. So they finally thought that they had something. It just makes me so sad that the city of Austin was like, we're finally going to put this to bed or at least like try to move forward. And they and still can't. aren't able to do anything. So here we are in 2020 with still no answers. And oh my God. it's just so sad. I hate it all. So that didn't cheer me up at all. Just FYI. I know. I, I feel like it was somewhat lighter than the Lavina Johnson story, but not at all. But like, no, not in any way. <laughs> but no. And it involved young, innocent girls who just wanted to go to a slumber party. And I think that's what breaks my heart the most. Oh, yeah. Well. Well, there we go. Unsolved the murder mystery. <laughs> Maybe something lighter that we could end it on since we just told horrific tales was... What are what's something positive you have found to do during lockdown Ooh. that has helped you? Mm, here's the thing. So I was actually I was texting Wayne from Florida Man on yes. Florida Man today. We were just texting back and forth, talking about like how are you doing? Are you taking walks? Like are you being healthy? And uh we were both kind of talking about how Despite this being like a very stressful time and, you know, there's so many things that are up in the air and it's very scary. Surprisingly, my anxiety is um, kind of at an all time low. And I think that it's it's not necessarily like this is awesome, but it is something that I should look into because that tells me that the social aspect of my anxiety disorder maybe was bigger than I initially thought. 100%. It sounds like it. Because it's literally like, I mean, one, I have so much more time to do the things that I am like really passionate about without having to work 40 hours a week, like totally. But there's something about even on my weekends, like Joe and I talk about this all the time, how like my weekends actually are when I have my anxiety attacks. And I think it's because I lose structure, one, which I've been really good at keeping during this lockdown. But two, I feel so much pressure to go out and be social when I maybe like don't want to or I'm exhausted and I like I really just want to rest. I hear you on that. Yeah. And I feel like this, I I don't have a choice. 
Like I have to stay in and it's taken that completely off of my shoulders. And now it's like, I really want to go out and see my friends. And it's like, oh my God, I Mm -hmm. almost never say that because I'm always like, I'm so tired. I don't want to go out and see my friends. So it is something that's like kind of good that's come out of this that I can sort of start to um, treat once life does sort of get back to normal. I can sort of sort of start looking into like, okay, my social anxiety was a lot more of an issue than I had ever thought. So let's I look into that. that. So that's sort of I feel like, like it's helping you isolate what yeah. was actually going on. This was eye opening for mm-hmm. you. That's really good. So um it's not really something good that I've been doing, but it is something good that's come out of this, I think. One hundred percent. I love that. What about you? Playing and with I feel Wilder. You on that. Yes. <laughs> well, I feel like Wilder is both the good and the bad. Right. For sure. Lockdown. Is that like he really does bring a light and a joy to all of this. I keep thinking like without him, I don't think the days would be as giggly and silly and fun. Like he is hilarious and keeps getting more and more tricks. He's almost walking. He's babbling, almost saying words. And he just really has a personality now. So I love that. Does he have and more than so two fun teeth? Watch him grow. No, still only two. What is I'm going on? Like, what if he never teeth, grows bro? other teeth? Oh my gosh, I'd kind of love it. He'd be this weird little <laughs> old man <laughs> for the rest of his life. I think I'd be into it. But he is standing on his own, which makes me want to pass out. He is. I know. It makes me want to cry. He's about to walk. Um, And so I do love that. And I love that I'm getting so much time with him. But it also is so much time with him on the other hand and i know a lot of moms listen to this show so i'm sure they will hear me right now and feel me but it's it's a lot of time alex my husband is still working and we're so grateful for that that we have that but it's so funny because i thought being on lockdown we were going to have more time together because i was like oh you'll be working from home and i bet his workload will be so much less we're just gonna like hang out all the time but he's actually working more somehow and so like literally we kiss each other goodbye in the morning as if he's going to work and he locks himself in our bedroom all day and he works until like 6 p.m then he comes out and i'm making dinner and then we have like a little bit of the evening together but it's he's locked away for most of the time so it's just me and wilder (laughs) constantly and it it is really exhausting it's definitely it's tested my patience more than ever in my life so i have those bad moments and yeah i do feel like i don't have the same anxiety as you but i do agree that my anxiety has gone down but depression has gone up. i've noticed like i hope you're okay with me sharing this but ashley and i both had like a horrific weekend we both it was weird that we were both happening to yeah have it, that but was weird it was the same day we were supposed to do like a little test record of this new project that we're starting on saturday and neither of us had contacted each other all day which like i was feeling guilt about it all day like i really need to wake up and call Ashley, i was feeling I... nothing she had no feelings i'm sorry that you felt guilty i felt nothing no i mean the guilt was like it came in waves because most of the time i was just like i just want to sleep i don't want to talk to anybody i don't want to look on my phone i was like alex take wilder duty like i just i want to sleep and be in my shell and then finally at like 4 p.m i texted ashley thinking she was going to be mad at me and i was like hey sorry i'm getting to you so late i'm in i'm in a depression slump and i couldn't get up and she's like girl that's the same reason i didn't contact you like i cannot get out of bed and i'm worthless and we yeah we just both had a really rough saturday and then like kind of sunday too and then Monday, we kind of got back on our feet and got back into the swing of things and started talking podcast again, got back into gear. But I think 
I mean, those moments suck, but I think it's okay to own those moments because we're in a weird freaking time and those moments are going to happen and it's okay. You're going to have your really down days, but you got to have the bounce back as well. That's the important part. And I'm glad that we both did. Me too. And I think it's also important to know that you don't have to fucking be productive during this. Yes. You don't. If all you're doing is surviving, that's okay. I've seen so many people like, take this time to blah, blah, blah. It's like, take this time to do whatever you want. Maybe your life is so busy that you're like, hey, never in my life again am I probably going to get a month or two months or even three months off of work. Granted, like, we're not making any money. Like, that is horrible. It's very scary. Like, our families might be sick. Like, it's so scary. I get it. You do not have to organize your closet. No, you don't have to write the next best book. No. You don't have to redo your entire life. You don't have to do your podcast. If you have a podcast, you don't have to do it. I've seen so many people taking a breather and that's great. Like there's no part of us that's shaming anyone for not doing our podcast. We both were just like, maybe this will give us some sanity. Like personally for us, this was something we needed. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm saying is like for us, this was something that we needed. I think for other people, maybe they're like, oh, this was a much needed break. Like let's not record for a couple months. And that's beautiful. And that's wonderful. Like take this time to be whatever you fucking need it to be. If that means sitting on your butt and just resting, you do that. And I think that is what's everybody. That's what everybody needs to know. That's what needs to be taken to heart. You don't have to be the most productive human in the world. Agreed. (sighs) Now that I've got that off my chest. (laughs) I know. That's all the time we have for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We are so excited to be back together, sort of. (laughs) Back together, but on other sides of town. Back together, kind of, in some way. Yes. Um, Please make sure that you're following us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast across all platforms. If you want to support the show in a financial way, head over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast and donate one, five, or ten dollars to our show and in return you'll get discounts on merch, a monthly newsletter, and a bonus episode every month as well. Speaking of merch, head over to our Etsy store at www.etsy.com slash shop slash Keep It Weird Podcast to check out all of our t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, tote bags, buttons, patches, coffee mugs, and more. And if you do buy something, please send us a picture. We love seeing you, all you guys and all your Keep we It Weird love seeing so you much. Guys, in it. guys, there's now a baby onesie. There is a baby. Get it. There's a baby clothes. I forgot about get the baby it. clothes. Yeah, get the baby I- shirt. Yeah, like if your child is wearing it, take every photo. I'm going to have a full photo shoot with Wilder, and I expect to see the same from you guys. (laughs) So go check it out. If you follow us on Instagram, you can hit up the link in our bio to find all of these links and more. Sign off this week. Oh, gosh. Mm, We didn't discuss a damn thing. Stop watching the news. There you go. Stop watching the news. Don't watch the news. Meditate instead. Mm-hmm. That no, mm-hmm. that it didn't roll off Not the tongue really. as well. But no, <laughs> no, the, you can't just make a don't jingle watch the out news. of that. Just don't watch the news. Nope. That's our. That's our. Um, listen yeah, to this shit instead. It. This is way more fun. Um, this horror. These horrible, horrible murders. Yep. Should be this the pick you up, you up that you need <laughs> during these tough times. This will bring you joy. (laughs) And uh, keep it weird. Keep it weird. Bye.
Hagerseelbach. What? Hagerseelbach. 